Good morning. What a prayer, and I want to thank all those that covered for me last Sunday as I spoke at a church that I originally served 50 years ago, and they celebrated their 125th anniversary. District Superintendent and myself are there, and I want to welcome all those by way of television today to all of it, United Methodist Church. It's truly a privilege to come into your homes, and a little while later, I'm going to have a member of our praise team share with you all the opportunities and all the YouTube and Facebook and other means that we're getting hits on and, and coverage. And maybe right now would be a good time, Robin, just share, bring the congregation up to speed. I have us on various social media sites. We're on BitChutes, we're on YouGetTube, we're on Twitter, we're on Telegram, we're on Facebook, we're on Truth Social. And I think we might be, I'm looking into another social media site to add to our collection, but our bit shoot averages between 40 to 75, our GitTube averages about 50, our podcast on Spotify is about four or five, our YouTube, so we're getting a lot on BitChute and YouTube. Our online supporters, thank you very much. I'm glad you like us, and hope you. I'm hoping one day get to meet you all. That update will periodically update you, and I, I guess my three sons, or father knows best, we're kind of working on those in the future. So our opening hymn is Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. It's in honor of the Dan Johnson family. Dan, it's our district superintendent, is going to be with us this afternoon. So let us turn in our purple hymnals to 130. Nine verses one, two, and five.
Thank you. You may be seated. I'm sure that brought back great memories to um, Dr. Thompson, and uh, who uh, father served in many Lutheran churches. Let us dedicate the next one to that great legacy of the Thompson family and Reverend Thompson and Dr. Thompson. Give thanks. Purple praise number 181. 181. Father God, as we come, we give thanks for the many blessings that you've given unto us, and we ask for guidance and direction during our worship service today and our two o'clock meeting as we consider disaffiliation from the United Methodist Church. My heart, like many others, are mourning as we sought the direction of the United Methodist Church for so many years in political parties and we learned in our Sunday school class, what are we really affiliated with? Is it to certain celebrities in our lives, or pastors, or preachers, or our parents, political parties, denominations? Help us to truly be discerners of the time. Help us to be discerners of our relationship with Christ. Help us to be discerners of the times that we live in. Help us to rightly divide the word of God. Help us to be first and foremost loyal to the scriptures and the word of God. John Wesley, father of Methodism, taught his followers to 
not be affiliated with any particular denomination or society. Martin Luther, as he mourned his disassociation from the Catholic Church because of certain rules and regulations, and Martin Luther was awakened, awakened by the spirit of truth that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, not of works, of righteousness in our part that we should gloat in, but we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. John Wesley taught his followers to discern the times we live in by scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, and that there would, be, there would come a time when people would be tested, that Christians would be tried and tested. There would be signs of his coming, there would be birth pains, when Christians would come under persecution and would be encouraged to compromise and bend in whatever direction the wind may be blowing. The word of God teaches us that we are to go into the culture, not the culture to come in into the church. We are to be discerners of time. That Christ is always above culture, not culture above Christ. And as we discern the times that we live in, O Lord, and as we look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and those by way of television turn in their Bibles, we, we realize that there's a guilt. There's a guilt of humankind that's coming on, on our country. We used to be an entirely pro-life, pro-Bible, pro-Scripture, pro-Israel. We used to be pro-goodness and righteousness. We used to be defenders of the innocent. And we're living in a time when culture is invading our lives and, and bringing about the lie of, of leisure and the lie of permissiveness. And when the innocent are not allowed a choice of life, and we as Christians, there's a drought in the land, a drought of scripture, there's a, a drought of holiness. And it seems that many are more concerned about affiliation to party and than principle, more concerned about an allegiance to a denomination than to the faith of our fathers living still and the faith of the scriptures to be found faithful. We pray, O oh Lord, during our worship service today that you would lead us in your path of righteousness, that as we come and sing your praises, we realize this is the holy ground and we're to be holy ambassadors. We are called to be servants of yours, O Lord. We are called to bring praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Pray this afternoon. We pray that for your guidance and your direction, as you've taught us to pray, sing together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you're viewing by way of television, or if you're up on one of our other news networks of listening by way of radio or television, or get you, bit you, whatever the shoes you're listening, Facebook and Ant. Modern technology is bringing, you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 32, and it is my custom to follow the lectionary. 
I've never had an opportunity to feel a need to struggle to come up with a message. It's always that I have probably 10 different directions I can go in each Sunday. In this particular Sunday, as we prepare to congregate this afternoon at 2 o'clock, we're going to have an administrative board meeting immediately following our worship service, and you're all welcome. We're going to be taking a vote on disaffiliation from the denomination and whatever that may lead us to, to the, the Wesleyan movement, to the global, the global Methodist. We, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our, our J-Hop and our, the gathering. Both denominations are very basic Christians. They believe in scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, and it's because of their participation with us that we're currently still in existence. Without them, we could not survive financially. And God has brought them to us. I don't think the devil would have brought Gathering or J-Hop to us. Certainly God has blessed us through their ministry. And if for some reason that, that this church would take another direction, a direction towards cultural relativism or the culture of Christ, you know, I think that uh, maybe the denominational powers that, that are would rejoice in possibly closing us out and then allowing a more progressive, they call it progressive, I call it a digressive direction. And I see a leaning in that direction and in scripture brings this truth before us today as we turn to Romans chapter one. Join me in the reading of the listening of verses 18 through 32, if you would please. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word as Paul writes his letter to you and I today. It's, it's a le- letter of title here. It's titled Guilt, the guilt of humankind. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. What does the word all mean? It means all. All ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. The prince of this world, Satan, wants to suppress truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, his invisible, through invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that that God has made. So they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and, and senseless minds were darkened, claiming to be wise they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being, or birds, or four-footed animals, or reptiles. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and served the creature rather than the creator. We're living in an age where people serve the created rather than cre- creator, who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural, and in the same way, also the men giving up natural intercourse with women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameful acts with men and received in their own persons the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, 
God gave them up to a debased mind and to things that should not be done. They were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetousness, and malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. They are gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious towards parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Yet they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Right away, Paul tells us what, who, who God's wrath is reserved for. It's reserved for wicked people that hide or repress God's truth for themselves and probably for others. God's wrath can be referred to sometimes as bad luck. God's wrath is often unknowingly displayed in the lives of people who have traded God's justice and righteousness for a lie. This can be difficult to process. In our time, it's obviously displayed. We can look at it and say, oh, well, they got what they deserved. Although God may temporarily judge those who deny him, his wrath literally falls like hail during the days of the final judgment. We see the reason for this increasing wrath activity for people that dishonor their bodies and attempt to live their life separate from him. His wrath includes separating from them. He removes himself from them. So they may fend for themselves. And guess what? They get to deal with the consequences of their own actions. But that's self-imposed ungodly behavior. And they chose it. It's not him. He didn't cause them to do it. They chose to do it. Paul refers to these people as ungodliness, ungodly or unrighteous. They suppress or intentionally hide God's truth. The word truth in the New Testament means to not only give mental approval to, the word truth in the New Testament means to act on it, to live it, to show it. If you don't, sin, what is sin really? It's the re rebellion against God's law and falling to the embrace of the truth of it and him. You fall away from it when you sin. Thank God we have Jesus Christ to lean on, to heal that, and build that bridge. There are three main actions that can guarantee a wrathful response to, from God. Number one, when you suppress God's truth in and replace it with unrighteousness. The second action that will guarantee God's wrath is rejecting his truth and what God has obviously revealed to us. The third way to guarantee God's wrath is showing unthankfulness for all that we see and do. You know what that results in? Worshiping the Creator, just like Randy said, and not the Creator. When this happens, any of those three happen, God removes in his hands a protection over, over man. And guess what? Matthew Henry nailed it when he said, he wrote, An unrighteous, wicked heart is the dungeon in which many a good truth is detained and buried. In doing so, he doesn't spare them the consequences of their own Godless actions. I really like and appreciate it. Dismissing God only allows one to re reap the rewards of actually what they have sown. And those people that reject God do pay the penalty for ignoring and dismissing the Creator. If you think the world situation is bad nowadays, I can't even imagine what it's like if God pulled back right now. The world we live in now is the one with God 
present, omnipresent. When he pulls back, I'm glad we won't be around. Sometimes people display a dislike God, and they don't keep a secret. The scripture should cause, that scripture should cause them to self-examine the way they live their lives and their tendencies towards God. Only one human has ever lived that did not need self-examination. His motive for not in question by him or God, guess what? He was nailed on a cross and murdered. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say right now, I want every person alive to come in faith, come into faith and have faith in Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for all of their sins. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And thanks for the coverage last week as I spoke at the anniversary of a church been in existence for 125 years. 125 years of district superintendent and myself. And thank God for um, sincere biblical Christians that have held and told the line. Maybe you, you saw recently a, a picture. It was of a Canadian woman. Canadian woman who was driving a frozen river. Now, where I grew up, you know, there are always vehicles. I, I always had law enforcement in my congregations, and I always had friends that wanted to test the ice. They were that eager to get out in, in ice fish. And here, this particular automobile broke through the ice and, and was thinking. She was being overcome with, with water. And this lady stunned, really stunned everybody, by standing on top of the car and, and taking selfies. Now, selfies have become a real big thing. I, I, I tried it a few times, you know, and I don't I just can't get the camera sometimes to turn around. I guess I, but she was standing on the top of her car taking selfies as it was sinking. And people um, nearby were trying to help with ropes and kayaks and all means to rescue her. By the way, if you're following along in the outline, that, that first sentence was taking, taking selfies. And people nearby, they were just trying to rescue this lady with ropes and kayaks. And she, but she just continued taking selfies. And when I read about that incident, my, my thoughts immediately went to my beloved. And I say that, my beloved, my beloved United Methodist Church which has taken care of me for almost 70 years, 70 years, and I've certainly seen the decline in the last 60, because that influential church was very influential in leading me to Christ. And the Methodist church used to be a vehicle, and I love vehicles, but the Methodist church used to be this vehicle that carried people to, the, to an important, very important destination, especially the final destination, the final destination to live with God. Very early age. One of the first scriptures I memorized was, was hung above my crib. It was John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave of his only begotten Son that the whosoever that believe in him and trust in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In recent years, I've... Notice the United Methodist Church freezing, freezing over, becoming so literally social conscious that they, 
lost sight of salvation. And the vehicle, the vehicle is sinking. I have heard some bishops, and I used to have bishops come and speak at my churches. I have heard some bishops use the word imploding, that the church is imploding. And if you've watched uh, even fake news, fake news on 4 or 5 or 9 and 11, fake news describes what's happening in the church. And I've been a part of the confessing movement as long as the confessing movement has been in existence. And the Reverend Dr. Mark Horst, who just recently passed away, he was younger than me, he was on the board of directors, the confessing movement, and I was being groomed for various churches. But when I have a tendency to lean in the more conservative evangelical direction, that grooming stopped. Mark recently passed away just here a few days ago. Not enough Christians are aware of the fact that the confessing movement has been one of the principal groups to help keep this vehicle of the United Methodist Church on course and on the right road. But leaders have led the church to roads that, that are treacherous, treacherous. Here, uh, not too many years ago, when I was still in the chaplaincy, I correspond with one of the former, I think he's still probably in office, uh, what kind of lost sight of him, but he was running for a f with a female candidate for the presidency of the United States. And, and he wanted, he was boasting about his missionary ventures at the time, and what he wanted us as chaplains to do is not to open in prayer in Jesus' name or close in Jesus' name. And I very quickly jumped, let a bandwagon expose him and expose his presidential running candidate, and thank God, you know, they, they were defeated. And now he's pushing, imagine this, now he's pushing, he's pushing for the fact that any Air Force personnel cannot address their parents as mom and dad. Crazy? Yes, crazy. They've gone so yoked, they've become so progressive, or as I refer, digressive, that they don't want us to pay any attention attendance to our parents. What, what do they want us to refer to? Not as mom and dad, Chris, but what, as what? Caregivers? Goof. How, how goofy can some people be? Goofy. The confessing movement has been one of the principal groups to help keep the vehicle of the church on the right road. But leaders have led that church to roads that are treacherous, you and I, we have a choice. We have a choice today. We can take, we can remain on that sinking vehicle, or we can reach out with ropes and try to help people get to safety. I believe that every United Methodist Church should be given, should be given the choice. Every United Methodist should be given the choice to remain in the United Methodist Church or disaffiliate. Currently, I haven't had any responses to the status quo. Everybody wants to disaffiliate, but we're, we're not at that two o'clock hour yet. The choice to remain in the United Methodist Church or disaffiliate and join the, the Global Methodist Church, the Global Methodist Church, or, or like-minded denominations in the Wesleyan, the Wesleyan tradition. The confessing movement is 
is committed to helping every church get to where God wants us to be. Where does God want us to be? The Apostle Paul wrote, and these are the Apostle Paul's words in the Phillips translation of Romans 8, verses 18 and 19. Paul wrote, In my opinion, Paul says, whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future God has planned for us. The whole creation is is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons and daughters of God coming into their own. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 and 19. Now, doing nothing, doing nothing is not an option. Helping Methodists see the, the truth of the times. Recently, the United Methodist Church Commission on General Conferencing was made the decision to cancel, cancel and postpone the General Conference a third time, a third time, and instead hold the next General Conference in 2024 in response to the decision, the Transitional Leadership Council of the global, the global Methodist Church in formation made the announcement that they would officially launch the Global Methodist, the Global Methodist Church on May 1st, 2022, and we celebrated that birthday on May 1st, 2022. Now, while that comes to us with some joy and, and relief to be finally making some possible new pathway to a new expression of Methodism, for many, that creates a fog and a kind of murky and muckiness, and it causes a storm in the bow because the global Methodist Church could not launch officially through the provisions of the protocol for grace and reconciliation through, through the separation of the year's planned general conference. The waters forward have become a little more uncertain and, and mucky. And for some, the disaffiliation process, which we're voting on this afternoon at 2 o'clock, and the price to navigate churches becomes very difficult for others. However, they will need a, a lighthouse, a, a true lighthouse to, uh, to vigilantly and vigilantly stand alongside and guide them safely, safely to their destination. And the confessing movement will continue to be that light in the foggy mess of the confusion of the United Methodist Church. Confessing faith, confessing faith in Jesus Christ, his Son, Savior, and Lord. The confessing movement exists to help retrieve and recalibrate and celebrate the church's basic biblical and doctrinal understanding and identity and to live in and out together as followers of Jesus Christ primarily scripture first and tradition, reason, and experience. And in this season, I call it a season that means that the confessing movement will continue in this uncertainty of the transitional season will assist us to, to resource, resource churches and clergy around the world and as they gather and encourage those who continue to celebrate the doctrine and the biblical authority on which the church was built and walk alongside the United Methodist churches and pastors who will one day join the Global Methodist Church. And currently, not only do I see the larger Methodist church 
being unbiblical, but they're breaking the discipline because the discipline currently says that any self-avowed gay or lesbian, and it's not necessarily a matter of sexuality. Sexuality is secondary to the authority of of Scripture. The authority of Scripture. We, We fully support all those who will decide now to leave the United Methodist to join with the Global Methodist or the Wesleyan Methodist or go back to the former Evangelical United Brethren, which was prior to 1968. We, we have been working for years to see this day realized. And then this as season, this, this season, and it is a season of, of change, the confessing movement will not only stay vigilant on the shore to see you to that destination, but we'll also continue to pray and work on behalf of those who will make that decision in the future. Basically, many of the tenets that I'm sharing with you today, I shared with Wrightstown United Methodist as we, they celebrated their 125th and the district superintendent, which is one of the more liberal district superintendents, and got up and said, well, basically the chaos that Dr. Tabor was talking about was the uncertainty of the times. Now it's more than the uncertainty of the times. It's, it's more of a position you take on the, the authority of Scripture. And we invite all those who are safely home in the global Methodist church, and there's hundreds, there's thousands that have broke away. 700 alone just in the state of Florida that made this decision, of this association. To find out more, you can contact a website that, that I have. But the confessing movement with Jesus on the shore to shine his light to the world so that his truth and grace, that it will come through in full measure, will be experienced in this world. We ask that you join us. Father, this morning as we consider the many things, the announcement of the May 1st, 2022 launch of the global Methodist churches has released this wave of activity across the United Methodist Church and United Methodist world. We, we have come to the eve of the separation in the United Methodist Church, which is longed for and celebrated by some yet grieved, grieved and resisted by others. The time of decision has arrived. Every United Methodist congregation member and pastor will decide what they will do. Some have already intentionally determined to remain in the UMC while others do so in the coming months, but still others will simply not address the separation. Ignorance. Not to decide is to remain in the UMC. Then there are those who, in the days ahead, after prayer and after much conversation and intensive study, will determine to separate from the UMC. Some have already made that decision in recent months, well over Hundreds and thousands of congregations have exited to join other denominations or to become independent. Earlier this year, the one th- or the four thousand, the four thousand member Fraser Memorial Church in Montgomery, Alabama, exited to the Free Methodist, the Free Methodist Church in Asbury United Methodist Church, the largest congregation in the Oklahoma annual conference, recently announced their intention to exit UMC and will consider joining the GMC, the Global Manager Church, after their exit. And meanwhile, information sessions, information sessions are 
are occurring across the church and hundreds of congregations, members, and pastors already are moving forward with their decision-making. What about those who cannot leave? Unfortunately, some congregations where a majority of members desire to separate and join the global Methodist Church will find themselves unable to do so because of the ransom. The ransom. They will fall short of the two-thirds majority vote of a church conference required by the discipline, or they will find themselves unable to meet the very significant financial requirements set by the discipline or their annual conference. Other pastors and laypersons preferring their congregation move to the GMC, the Global Memphis Church, will remain in the UMC Church out of their love for their congregation, which is remaining or because they perceive that God is leading them to remain within the UMC for other reasons. And the confessing movement believes that, that as separation plays out, the UMC will move even more strongly in this progressive or digressive, digressive decoration direction. We expect the UMC to open their doors to complete acceptance of the LGBTQA1 plus persons, including ordination and formal acceptance of same-sex marriages and possibly even pedophilia. Like promises made in their mainline denominations which have moved, moved to all forms of sexuality. And Yet as time has passed, more conservative pastors and congregations and those denominations have experienced increasing intolerance. Intolerance toward their more traditional and biblical understandings. The, the envisioned post-separation UMC will function as a big tent with an acceptance of an ever-widening variety of theological understandings, some of them distant from the mainstream of historic Christianity faith described in the scriptures and given through the apostles. And if these potentialities become realities as anticipated, life in the, this post-separation UMC will become more frustrating and uncomfortable for traditional Christians who remain. Therefore, the confessing movement intends to remain actively in ministry in the UMC throughout the time of transition. For the confessing movement will encourage traditional pastors to be biblical in congregations and confessing Jesus Christ as God's Son, Savior, and Lord. Support those facing discrimination or persecution because of their traditional doctrine and theology. Counsel and assist congregations and pastors who later desire to exit to the UMC and, and advocate to, at the 2024 General Conference for Legislation that which will provide amicable, just, and reasonable and accessible avenues to those desiring to exit the UMC, as well as policies that align with biblical values and faith once delivered to the saints. As with those who desire to remain in the UMC, those who intend to separate grieve the division before us. Many of us have spent our lives loving and praying for and serving in the UMC, and it's predecessor denomination. We have been baptized there, found Jesus as Savior and Lord there, and grown in faith and discipleship and relationship with others in the United Methodist congregations. We, we pray that an amicable, just, reasonable, and accessible separation will be possible. In our deeply held convictions, on all sides have brought us to the place we are no longer 
better together. We pray that although our minds and our convictions are unreconcilable, we can go our ways with hearts that are reconciled, blessing one another and praying for one another for Christ to be honored as each pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of television, those by radio, radio and Facebook and other means of communication, would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Save me by your blood. Direct me by your discerning Holy Spirit to be faithful to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you join me now as we prepare to um, take up this morning's offering, let us turn in our offertory prayer. God of justice and mercy, we come to worship you this day as ones who, on the great balance scale of your creation, are more like the rich man in the gospel story than we are Lazarus. The parable Jesus tells reminds us that the chasm between us this day, as we offer gifts today, may we do so striving to be those blessed to be a blessing. Let us turn out to the offertory prayer as we wait upon you this morning for our offering when we are living. Purple number 356.
you stand with me for the doxology, please? God of all relentless love, the gospel reminds us of the, the joy you feel when one of your children chooses a path of repentance and redemption. We picture that celebration in your heart when that choice is made for thy word. We also know how prone we are to wander off that path as we pursue those things that satisfy ourselves only. Receive these gifts we offer this day as a sign of our are striving to get back on the path that leads and feeds us to you. We pray in the name of Jesus the Christ, the light on our path. Amen.
Good morning. As we prepare for worship, what a wonderful way to bring our spirits in tune with the Spirit of God. How many watched the Air Force Navy game yesterday? We want to challenge all those by way of television this morning. Air Force won for the third year in a row. Uh, it kind of reminds you back in 69, I got a commission by Old Langen to go to a choice of academies, and I elected to go to the Air Force Academy in that. At that time, it wasn't the coolest time, and my parents kind of put a little kibosh to that, but we went on honor all branches of the service, all branches of the service today as we come and we pray for those who are protecting our nation in the service to God and country and all law enforcement, law enforcement. And we want to thank you for your, your thoughts and your prayers by way of television and all the means of communication that's reaching you today by way of television and radio and YouTube and Facebook and all means of uh, certain means and I, uh, you know, the names Bitchu and what, what are Bitchu, Telegram, YouTube. If you're here, it's by that means of communication. We just appreciate your prayers and your your support. Yeah, I'm turn to our opening hymn, "Guide Me Without Great Jehovah Purple" on one twenty-seven. It's in the honor of the birthday of James Mayer, and you can just kind of wave it. James Mayer, I just spoke to him here a few days ago, and he just loved to be with us, James and Charlene, and they're just great, great folks, and they worshiped with us for many years after their Methodist church, here in the United Methodist Church, was forced to close. So we, we do this, this hymn in honor of Jim and Charlene's service to God and country and, and the memories within that church. So let's stand now. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, Purple number 127 as we prepare for Holy Communion today. Purple hymnals 127, please. Be 
song we believe I'm going to dedicate that to the return of Chris and and Pastor Groves and Martha and all those by wave tellers this morning we trust that these words will bring meaning to your Christian testimony and walk
Father God, this morning as we come before you in our petition and intercession of prayers, we meditate on the great mercies of God, tremendous mercies, Lord, you have for us through the night. And we address you as a dear loving Father and we pause to remember thy great blessings and courageous acts of heroism. We pray for those who are experiencing financial loss and material loss and loss of hope and the devastation of iron and hurricanes and tremendous chaos that's going on in the world. We, we lift up those who are so affected by the tremendous experiences of the materialism of life. We remember the families of the victims and we pray for police officers and firemen, first responders, and all who are involved in the tremendous work of revitalization. We pray for the light of Christ to flood the hearts of people everywhere. We believe, yes, we believe and we pray for the desire to redeem and all of your creation and we trust that, that the beauty of thy righteousness will continue to come from the ashes and devastation of floods of these darkest days that we're going through. Surround us, O Lord, with your mighty ministering angels a protection, guide us and your compassion for one another in all of life's circumstances. Pray for the healings and continuous hand upon those who are experiencing loss by way of television and radio and other means of communication. Thou work who art all-knowing. And we gather this day to commune with one another, to commune with you, O Lord. Among, throughout the world, the first Sunday in October is designated as World Communion Sunday, and we gather on this beautiful, beautiful morning painfully to remember those circumstances that have occurred throughout our world, the devastation in Ukraine and Florida, the countless murders in Chicago and New York and many, many sites, oh Lord, that they're just experiencing devastation that even news isn't tracking anymore. But it's impossible to forget that we Remember all the, the heroes and heroines, the first responders that come to the aid and stand up when they see unrighteousness trying to prevail in the midst of peace and tranquility. 
Help us, O Lord, to be first responders to Christ. Help us to demonstrate that courage in the midst of chaos. You remember the innocents who have perished in Florida and Ukraine. We pray for Putin and his conversion, for our friends and our neighbors and thousands of strangers who are victims of random violence each and every day. We remember knowing for a moment that we are connected to each precious life, to the survivors and those who have died with the bond of shared humanity that the forces of hate could never, never break. We remember as we ask your blessing upon the body and blood of Christ this morning that help us to be more than conquerors through Christ who strengthened us. And we help us to remember the voices that counsel peace even as oftentimes nations prepare for war. And we, Lord, raise our voices still against fanaticism of the left, the liberalism, the apathy of both directions, the jihad, the militarism against racism and religious intolerance. And as we prepare for a sense of greater community with our communion of our Lord and our we ask, O oh Lord, that you prepare our hearts and our minds and our bodies with that historic prayer that you taught all your followers to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you're viewing by way of television, our scripture reading is taken from Luke's Gospel, the 16th chapter, verses 19 through 31. So take time now to turn in your scriptures to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, please. Reading again now from Luke, the 16th chapter, verses 19 and following. We hear the word of God, the people of God, and we ask ourselves, where do we, what category do we put ourselves in? There was a, a rich person who was dressed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every, every day. It's hard not to find ourselves in that position. And at his gate lay a poor man, a poor man named Lazarus. Lazarus was covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. And even the dogs, the dogs would come and lick his wounds. The poor man died and as he died, he was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. And this rich person also died and was buried in Hades, in hell. In hell, where he was being tormented, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. 
And he called out, Father, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me and, and send Lazarus to dip the tongue, tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony. Agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime, the stewardship, the stewardship of your time and your talents and your treasures, your duration of your life, you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is, is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between you and, and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass pass from here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from here there to us. And he said, then, then Father, Father I, uh, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that I will not they will not also come here this, into this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They have the Bible. They should listen to them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them, goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Say it with me. They will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets of the Bible, neither will they be convinced even, even as someone rises from the dead. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word today. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. One thing I noticed about this parable is that the name of the rich man wasn't mentioned. However, he does mention the purple robe he was wearing, and that purple robe symbolized wealth and power. Purple was royal color back then. Another clue to his wealth is that he was wealthy and extremely well-fed. A final sign about his wealth was that he had gates around his property, and these gates served as kind of a so-called protection from many outsiders or vagrants from wandering onto his valuable property. In contrast, Lazarus was the only person named in any of Jesus' parables, and he was lying destitute at one of those gates. The name Lazarus is a variant of the name Eliezer, which means God heals or God helps. This rich man was covered in fine purple linen, and Lazarus was covered in sores. Lazarus wasn't only there for a money handout, though. He was eating the crumbs that fell off the rich man's table. Lazarus was ignored at this property, except for by the dogs. He got attention from the dogs only because they looked at his sores that were on his skin. But something tells me this rich man wasn't 
irreversibly retrievable. Because he did tolerate, he not only tolerated Lazarus' presence at his gates, but he let him scrap up the, the crumbs that fell off his table onto the floor. Now Lazarus died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. There was, there was no mention of a burial system for, for, for Lazarus. But his death was followed by the rich man's death. And of course, there was a mention of a burial service because of his money. And, but this rich man went to Hades. He could see over across the chasm to Abraham in Abraham's, or to Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. For I am in pain with all these flames, this heat. Sent Lazarus over to dip his finger in the river and put a drop of my tongue so I could get a little relief from this flame. This plea for help from Lazarus was ironic because the rich man had done absolutely nothing to notice the poor man at his house when he was alive. Lazarus' position now reminded the rich man of that, how comfortable he was and how destitute poor Lazarus was. This brought up to mind the change of extreme opposite circumstances. Lazarus now in comfort. He was now comfortably reclining or resting in a very nice environment. Now the Pharisees that were listening to this parable would have missed this because they believed that comfort and nice things in life were given to you were rewards from God for your religious observance. If you, the, they thought if you'd lived a pious life, the rewards would come directly from God for your pro-religiosity, which is, of course, wrong, but that's what they believed. Now, the rich man had members of his family in the same position, so he called out to Abraham. He said, Abraham, save them so they don't end up here where I am. No. He was, he, he was told, no, they have basically the, the Bible and people that talk to them about, about heaven. Let, let, let him listen to them. That reminds me, that's pretty much how we are these days. Whenever we evangelize the people, or they turn on the TV or the radio, they can change the channels. And metaphorically, they can do this to us, do that to us when we speak to them of God. But that may be the only chance. It's important for us to give it to them anyway, the message of the cross, because we might be the only chance they have to hear about heaven that day or that week. We don't know what their circumstance is, but we can pray for them and try and share in it. When living, the rich man didn't realize 
what God had blessed him with. And then he was used it to help others. Let's not find ourselves in that same position as this rich man. Be generous with our ability and means to serve others and help others. We don't want to be like this rich man. That everything, me, 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 me. No, no, no. That's not it. Others can benefit from the blessings and the material that you have given you from God. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, sir. I can remember very few, on very few occasions, my, my lo lovely wife had asked me to increase my life insurance almost 50 years ago when, we, when I was skydiving, and skydived a number of times, and then I got others involved in skydiving, and, and it was Steph Russell, the owner of the funeral home in Deer River, Minnesota. We put an ad in Itasca paper, either to get in touch with the funeral home at Deer River or the Methodist Church if you're interested in skydiving. How is your life insurance policy? One of the individuals that I skydived with was a, a gentleman. He was from the Grand Rapids area. He had very long hair. He was a self-evolved atheist, a communist, fascist, and we didn't necessarily go Get, get along. I, I wore a jacket that said H-E-L-L, -L, comma, I won't go. And he wore a military fatigue jacket with an upside down cross on it that said unconverted. I don't think I need to go into the explanation of those situations. I wish we had more time. Today, we're, as we prepare for Holy Communion, we need to realize that the parable that we now read in one respect stands alone. It stands alone in the Bible. It's the only passage of scripture which describes the feelings of the unconverted. If you're following along by way of television or radio and if you requested a bulletin that first outline which is in the bulletin is unconverted. It's the only passage of scripture which describes the feelings of the unconverted after death. And for this reason we, we as well as well as many others the parable deserves a very I believe special special attention. We learn firstly from this parable that a person's worldly condition the worldly condition is, is no test of, of their state in the sight of God. The Lord Jesus describes to us these two individuals of whom one, one was very rich and the other was very poor. The one who fared sumptuously every day, the other was just a mere beggar who had nothing that he should call his, his own bread crumbs from the table. And yet, of these two, the poor man had grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. And, and the rich person had none of God's riches and at Christ's expense. The poor man lived by faith and walked in the steps of Abraham. 
were learned in our Sunday school class how God changed the name Abraham to Abram to Abraham. The rich individual was, was very thoughtless, selfish, worldly, who is truly dead in his trespasses and sins. And let us never give way to the common idea that all of us are, are to be valued. We're all to be valued according to the grace of God. We, we are, let us never give way to the common idea that we are valued according to our income or that the person has, who has most money is the one who ought to be the most highly esteemed. There's no authority for this notion in the Bible. The general teaching of Scripture is very flatly opposed to it. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says, Not many are wise, not many are mighty, not many are noble or called. Let not the rich person glory in their, their riches, but let them glory in this, that they knoweth and understandeth me, says Jeremiah. 9.24 We find through that wealth is, is no mark of God's favor. Poverty is no mark of God's displeasure. Those whom God justifies and those who God glorifies are seldom rich in, in this world. If we would measure ourselves as God measures them, them, we must value them according to their riches, God's riches at Christ's expense. We learn secondly from this parable that not only firstly, that God doesn't look at the condition of the, uh, the state of our being here upon earth as in the sight of God, but we learn secondly from this parable that death is a, is a very command. Death is a common end to which all classes of humankind must come. That the trials, the trials of the beggar and, and the sumptuous faring of the rich man alike will cease at last. There came a, a time when, when both of them died. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3.20 reminds us all go to one place. Death is a great fact that all acknowledge, but very few seem to realize it. It touches their own family and themselves eventually. Most, most of us eat and drink and we talk and we, we plan as if there were, we were going to live upon earth forever. And the true Christian must be on guard against the spirit. Spirit. Bible says he that would live well or a great divine great theologian during the 13th 14th century said we should often think of our last day and and make it our company keeper live as old this is our last day and against murmurings and and, and discontent and envy and the state of poverty against pride and all sense of self-sufficiency and arrogance in the possession of wealth, there are few better antidotes than the remembrance of death. The death 
I've told you before that many years ago I had my own personal coffin made. I've had that for many years in the corner of our living room. Currently it stores my, my guns and I've entrusted people to, to immediately upon death take those guns out of the coffin, put me in the coffin, same day burial, celebrate my birthday or my birthday into heaven or my death day later on the bodily wants at our end. And we find that scripture says the beggar died and his bodily wants were at an end. The rich man died though and his feasting was stopped forevermore. We learn thirdly from this parable that the souls, the souls of believers, that the souls of believers are specially cared for by God in the hour of death. Have that assurance. That the souls of believers are especially cared for by God in the hour of death. The Lord Jesus tells us that, that when the beggar died, he was carried. We'll be carried. We'll be carried. If you're in Christ, we'll be carried by angels in Abraham's bosom. There is something very comforting in this expression. We know little or nothing of the state and the feelings of death. When our own last hour comes and we lie down to die, we should be like those who journey into an unknown country, but a country that's so fabulous and so peaceful and content. But it may satisfy us to know that all who fall asleep in Jesus are in good keeping. We'll be in good keeping, those in Christ. They are not homeless. They are not houseless. They're not wanderers between the hour of death and the, the day of resurrection. They are at rest in the midst of friends. Rest in the midst of friends. With all who have laid, laid and had that like faith, which is in Abraham. Abraham believed in something that he had not seen, and we see in scriptures the reality of what Jesus was and is. And we'll have no lack of anything. And, and best of all, Paul tells us that they are with Christ in Philippians chapter 1, 23. We learn fourthly from this parable the reality and the eternity of hell. If I stopped here, I would be negligent as a pastor and a Christian. We learn, fourthly, from this parable the reality of eternity, the eternity of hell. The Lord Jesus tells us very plainly that after death, a rich person was in hell. He was tormented with, with flame. And he gives us a, a fearful picture of his longing for just a drop. Just a drop of water. And I imagine those in Florida who see water, water all around them. But the greatest need that they have is through the water of Christ. Or clean drinking water among the sewage. He gives us a fearful picture of his longing for a drop of water. Just a drop of water, it says, to cool his tongue. And the gulf 
the gulf between him and Abraham, which could not be passed. And there are a few more awful, awful passages, perhaps in the whole Bible than this. And he from whose lips it came, be it remembered, was one who delighted. Jesus delighted in mercy. Jesus delighted in mercy and kindness. In the certainty and the endlessness of, of the future punishment of the wicked are truths which we must hold fast to and we must never let go. And that's why I'm so grateful that the, many of us are looking at a, a separation, a disaffiliation from a group of people that do not believe entirely in Scripture. And he from whom lifts it came, be it remembered, was one who delighted in mercy. In the certainty and the endlessness of the future punishment of the wicked are truths which we must hold fast and must, we must never let go. From the day when Satan said to Eve, Satan said to Eve, and remember it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. From the day when Satan said to Eve, you shall not, you shall not surely die. There never has been wanting among us who have denied them. Let us not be deceived. Let us not be deceived. There is a hell for the impenitent as well as a heaven for believers. I have a heaven for those who have communion with Jesus and understand the body and blood of Christ. There is a wrath to come for all who obey not the gospel of Christ, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 8. And from that wrath let us flee betimes to the great hiding place, the hiding place, which Corey Tenpoon's book was based upon, the hiding place. The hiding place is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And if we would find ourselves tormented at last, it will not be because there was no way of escape. And we learn fifthly from this parable that the unconverted, the unconverted person finds out the value, the true value of a soul after death when, when it's unfortunately too late. We read that this rich person desired Lazarus might be sent to his five brethren who were yet alive, lest they also should come to this place of torment. And while they lived, he had, he had never done anything for their spiritual good. It appears they, they had probably been in companionship and in, in worldliness and worldly activities. And like him, had neglected their souls entirely. And when he is dead, he finds out too late the folly of which they had all been guilty of and desires that, if possible, they might be called to repentance. Say it with me, repentance. And the change that will come over the minds of the unconverted person after death is one of the most fearful points in their future condition. They will see and they will know, they will understand a, a hundred thousand things to which they were obstinately blind while they were alive. They will discover that like Esau, they, 
They have bartered away their eternal happiness for just a mere mess of pottage. pottage. There, there's, there's no infidelity or skepticism or unbelief after death. It is a wise saying of the old divines that hell is nothing more than truth known too late. And we learn lastly from this parable that the, the greatest miracles, the greatest miracles would have no effect on our, our those hearts if they will not, not believe in God's word. The rich person thought that if one were to go to come back from the dead, if, if one went to his brethren from the dead, they would repent. And he argued that, that the sight of one who, who came from another world must surely make them feel, though the old familiar words of Moses and the prophets had been heard in vain. In the reply of, of Abraham and Solomon instructed, if they hear not Moses, if they hear not Moses and, and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one were to rise from the dead. And the very principle laid down in these words is of deep, deep importance. The scriptures contain all that we need to know in order to be saved, and a messenger from the world beyond the grave could add nothing to them. It is not more evidence that is wanted in order to make people repent, but more heart and, and a willingness to make use of what they already have. The dead could tell us nothing more than the Bible than what the Bible contains if they rose from the graves to instruct us. And after the first novelty of their testimonies was worn away and, and should care no more for their words than the words of any other, this wretched waiting for something which we have not and neglect of what we have is the ruin of thousands of souls. Faith, simple faith, in the scriptures which we already possess is the first thing needful to salvation. The person who has the Bible, the person who can read the Bible and actually reads the Bible and neglect not what it says, that person who has this Bible and can read it and yet waits for more evidence before they become a decided Christian is is deceiving themselves, except they awaken from their own delusion, they will die in their sins. Father, this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and as we prepare for Holy Communion, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would search our hearts. Search our hearts, Lord. Help us to be willing to accept conscience that speaks to our being. In Jesus' name, as we turn in our purple hymnals to pages 9 through 11. Turn with me now, if you would, please, in our purple hymnals, verses, pages 9 through 11. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. 
It is right and good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, O God, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God heaven and earth, therefore we are Hosanna in the Blessed you come to the Lord in Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from, every, from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. And when the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. And on the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of you. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us scattered here and on the gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory. And we feast at his heavenly banquet through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. At this time, I think we can do this. This is a new, new activity, the offering place here at, on the altar. If you come, I will serve you. And we need to be done here shortly. So come as you will, as you give your gifts, your tithes and your offerings and the offering plate, and I'll minister to you to do the...
His body and his blood arise now and go in the peace and the understanding of the leading of the God's Holy Spirit in your lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As you return, would you join me in an offertory prayer printed in your bulletin? Gracious and giving God, we bring our tithes and offerings to you this day and pray as we give them that you will kindle in us a deep faith and a stronger commitment. We acknowledge that some of us have found our way back to you on our own. Others of us have lived a faith that surrounded us from the time we were born, lived out in parents, grandparents, siblings, and spouses. Help us to kindle it to faith, flame, that the world might be set on fire with your love and compassion. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us turn to our offertory hymn, Purple Hymnals. Number 337, 1, 3, and 4, please.
Would you stand for the doxology, please? May the grace and the peace of God, our Father Almighty, go with us now and forevermore as we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors as we have heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Empower us by your Holy Spirit. Free us with joyful obedience to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.